Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to episode number 9 of my 60s music podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. So first of all, I'd like to welcome all you to episode number 9 of my 60s music podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams. So for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or on Stitcher, or on iHeartRadio, or on Google Play Music, and you're wondering, so what the heck is this? Well, I'm just going to give you a brief description of what the show is all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams. I'm a 22-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a huge 60 music fan slash expert slash nerd. And each week with this podcast, I review one song by one artist from the 60s and first talk about my opinion on the song and why I think it's so good and why I think it sucks, and then do my own personal analysis on the record and the arrangement of the song, which will include the chords, melody, and lyrics, and then dig deep into the history behind the record, which will include who wrote it, who produced it, and who played on it, and all the juicy behind-the-scenes details on the group or song I talk about each week, and all the people and places involved in the making of the record. So basically, that's what the show is all about. If you have any questions, please email me at sam at hickeywilliams.com. Before we move on with the song I'll be reviewing in this week's episode of the show, I'm going to do a special shout-out to someone who has taken the time to do an excellent review on my podcast. His name is Charlie Wilman, and before we go get to talking about him, let's here's what he said about my show. He gave my show five stars, and here's what he said about it. Ever since tuning in the first episode of the series, I fell in love with Sam's style, demeanor, and well-placed use of profanity. It is, fu- it is fun and relatable to hear his enthusiasm for bringing his excellent taste in old age music to the newer generations. Being a millennial who also grew up with an appreciation for music from this era, listening to this podcast has not only given me a deeper insight into the music and the world it was written in, but it has also revived my interest in listening to it as well. He brings up points and aspects of each song and group that can make them more relatable and as a result more endearing to anyone who's listening to this podcast regardless of age. His interview with Chris Montez was particularly enlightening. Having not heard of him before, it was interesting to learn about his experience, influences on the music scene at the time, and his encounters with other well-known artists. Wow, that was probably the best review I've ever gotten on my show so far. I mean, it is extremely validating to me, and it tells me that what I'm doing for the show is working, and all the hard work I'm putting into the show is slowly starting to pay off, considering how well-received it has been so far. And I also want to make something clear with you. I did not pay him to write such a great review on my show, nor did I tell him what to say about my show in the review. He simply took it upon himself to listen to my show and write a thoroughly thought-out, really good review for my show, and his own words to highlight all the best parts of my show. I mean, I'm really hoping that people that don't know me will look at that review before they listen to the show and take the time to even listen to it because of how good the review was. And we need to talk about the guy that wrote this review because Charlie is an interesting guy, but he's also been a loyal supporter of my music. He has been to almost all my shows that I've done over the last few years, but he's also a lovable and smart and interesting guy. And But he also does something for a living that not a whole lot of people do, but I'm pretty sure he's excellent at it because he went to school specifically for it, but he will also be able to corner the market at the location he's currently based at for that specific business he's starting. Basically what Charlie does for a living 
is that he isn't your typical singer-songwriter slash musician who plays live and gets his songs in movies, TV shows, and commercials and teaches private lessons. He does something very specific, but there is a very high demand for the type of work he does, and it's also very lucrative as well. He's basically what they call luthier. I know what you're thinking. Sam, what the heck is a luthier? Well, I'm going to explain to you exactly what that is right now. Okay, so luthier is somebody that does repairs for guitars and basses. And the reason why there is such a high demand for people like him is because 90% of the musicians in L.A. are either guitar players or bass players. And those instruments, while they might be amazing to play and fascinating creatures to learn about, like cell phones and computers and other basic things that we use in our everyday lives, they are not perfect. Various things regarding a guitar and bass can break, and guitars and basses can have various issues slash problems that only people like Charlie know how to fix. And while you can easily learn how to do all the things he knows how to do yourself, it takes a special skill to be able to execute and do all the things he knows how to do. Not every musician is mechanically inclined and has that woodworking skill to do what he excels at, and that's why people pay top dollar to have somebody else do exactly what he does. And trust me, there are musicians out there that will pay a lot of money to get their instruments worked on by people like him, and especially if there is a trusting relationship between the two people. And he recently started a setups and repairs business with a business partner. And if you're wondering exactly what kind of repairs he does, he knows how to do. He does various things from setups or fret dresses to refret to electronic work, like working on pickups and pots and switches and wiring within the guitars and basses, and finish and structural repairs. He's also going to offer his own customized line of electric guitars in the near future. And I was just about to say that as a luthier, not only do you get to repair different guitars and basses, but you also get to create your own uh, line of electric guitars or acoustic guitars by designing them using a specific wood making parts to physically create the design, typically out of a single piece of wood. But there are other parts as well to use to make, to make guitars and basses. Charlie is also currently based in Orange County, and I must say that there really isn't anybody else doing exactly what he's doing in his area, and he, but he also can take his business elsewhere because he has his own mobile truck where he does all of his repairs out of with his partner. And by the way, the name of his business is C&J's Stringed Instrument Repair, and his Instagram handle is C-J-S-M-U-S-I-C-A-L-I-N. And, S. and I hope some of you musicians that are listening to this podcast will hit him up for any kind of instrument uh, repairs that your instruments might need. But moving on, let's get started this week's song, shall we? Okay, so this particular song, it's honestly one of the most kick-ass, most fantastic records of it there. It has one of the best usage of sound effects and quite honestly one of the best vocal performances you'll ever find on any soul record of its era. The song came out in July of 1967. It's by a group called The Soul Survivors. It's on the expressway with your heart. Oh my god. I mean, this song is just incredible. I mean, there are a few things about the song that will draw you into the song if you decide to listen to it. First of all, the infectious rhythm in the verses and the choruses that... Mm, ah, mm, 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 mm. I mean, that kind of rhythm may not be the easiest rhythm to dance to, but it's so contagious that it pulls you into the track and it makes you want, makes you want to listen to the whole song. And of course, the next thing that really reels you into this specific track are the sound effects. 
I mean, at the time, there was only one other record that contained sound effects of cars honking in the streets, and we'll get to that record eventually. But seriously, I mean, these sound effects are cleverly placed in the refrain after the chorus and in the very beginning of the song, and the sound effects used on this track perfectly capture the vibe of being on a physical expressway, even though, let's face it, in this song, they're probably speaking in metaphorical terms of the expressway instead of literally being on one. But really, what I think the singer is trying to say in the song is that the expressway is a way to win the girl that he has his eyes on over and to avoid the friend zone while other guys also compete for her affections. But he feels like he, he thought too long to make his move, and when he finally does, he gets caught in a rush hour of a ton of other guys also trying to win her over. And the singer uses different literal subway analogies to convey what's going on in the lyrics, how things are too crowded at 5 o'clock, which is a pretty literal take on being on an actual subway, since that's when most trains are super packed with people. And when there's too many people also trying to compete with her affections, and just when he thinks he has a clear shot of getting in with her, he runs into stoplights and gets cock-blocked yet again by several different guys. Let's face it. If you're a guy listening to this podcast, and you've, you've probably been in that situation before where you were attracted to a specific girl, and there was a million other guys competing for her affection, well, that's exactly what this singer is about, is talking about in the song. If, it's not, if that's not proof enough for you that people from all walks of life can relate to songs of this era, regardless if you're a baby or, or if you're a mental millennial, I have no, I have no idea what is. But really, before we get into the history behind this classic, we have to talk about the fantastic keyboard work on this song. I mean, I've never heard a single note piano phrase be so catchy and so memorable. And those organ chords in the pre-chorus definitely make it sound like a churchy African-American R&B record, even though the track was sung by a bunch of young Italian white guys from Philly. And also, we have to talk about the fuzz-toned guitar in the chorus. I mean, that definitely gives the record a solid rock touch, even though it is clearly a blue-eyed soul record. And by the way, the song's backup parts in the outro, the clever call and response parts saying they're too crowded, you know, responding to the lead singer uh, of the song, would prove to be highly influential for another band we'll talk about in a later episode in this podcast, a band that would blow up and become extremely popular just a few years after the song was on the charts. A band called Three Dog Night. Don't worry, I'll do a whole episode on them in a the future episode of the show. But for now, I'm going to focus on this particular song and this particular artist. But moving on, let's talk about the history behind this group. Because again, you probably don't know anything about them, but they were definitely a talented band and the proof they were. They had a team of writers and producers that would in just a few years become the top Philadelphia-based songwriters slash producers in the U.S. They would go on and develop their own signature sound and assemble their own group of studio musicians and literally conquer the pop charts in the late 60s and early 70s and stand head and shoulders with their contemporaries, a la Motown. I'm talking about none other than Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff. Before the two met, Kenny Gamble was working as a songwriter slash arranger in Philadelphia producing such records as Who Do You Love by the Sapphires, with Jerry Ross, while Leon Huff was a studio musician working and living in New York, playing on such records such as The Boy from New York City by The Adlibs and 123 by Lynn Berry, and producing songs such as Mixed Up Shook Up Girl by Patty and the Emblems. Interestingly enough, both of them met because of Jerry Ross, who discovered Kenny Gamble when he was just 17. 
Ross introduced them to each other after both them wound up playing on a session produced by Ross for a group called Candy and the Kisses, and they quickly formed a fast writing partnership that started when all three of them wrote, I'm Gonna Make You Love Me, which was recorded by several different artists before it became a huge Motown hit in 1969 for The Temptations and Supremes. Before Kenny Gamble and Huff got together as writers and producers, the label that was predominantly having the most success in the pop charts based in Philadelphia was called Cameo Parkway Records, and we'll do a whole episode on them, but the point on me mentioning them to you in this episode is that they were the most commercially successful Philadelphia-based label between the years 1957 and 1963, but by the time Gamble and Huff got together to form a producing and writing partnership, the hits for that label had dried up. And they were on their verge of bankruptcy, leaving Gamble and Huff to take over as a predominant producers and writers based in Philly. At the time, the city was having a dry spell of hit songs, with the exception of Yes, I'm Ready by Barbara Mason in 1965 due to the collapse of Cameo Parkway Records due to the onslaught of the British Invasion, and the American Bandstand moved into Los Angeles in 1964, well before they were based in Philly. They started working for independent labels and other major labels based in Philly and New York before forming their own in 1971, and their first discovery was this band, The Soul Survivors. And now that we're on the subject of this group, let's talk about The Soul Survivors. Their group consisted of a band with three singers, brothers Richie and Charlie Ingwine and their friend Kenny Jeremiah. Other people that played in this band include Paul Venturi on organ, Chuck Troyce on guitar, and Joe Forgroin on drums. And before Gamble and Half had their own label, they worked for other independent labels in Philly, and this was released under Crimson Records. This was also the first record recorded at a new studio that Gamble and Huff opened in Philly that they would call Sigma Sound Studios. Joe Tarsha, who was the house engineer on many Cameo Parkway records, was the engineer on this track, and it was also first recorded at the old Cameo Parkway studio, but then re-recorded at Sigma Sound. Other than the band members themselves playing on the track, Leon Huff is on piano, and Philly-based session player Winnie Winford is on bass. And the reason why the band used a bass player, because the band at the time didn't have a bass player, very much like a New York City bass band, The Rascals. The track was released in July of 1967, and by the way, they used to go under the name Dedications, but they later on changed their name to Soul Survivors. And the single made top 10, peaking at number 4. It became the first top 10 hit produced by Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff, and written by them too, and while we're at it, let's talk about how they came up with the song. Uh, Kenny Gamble was, believe it or not, sitting on an actual expressway when he wrote the song. Uh, Gamble wrote the lyrics, and he was sitting at the expressway bus stop while taking the Skullkill Expressway. And it was backed up for hours when he was on his way to see his girl. So he just started tapping on the dashboard, Expressway to your heart, I've been trying to get to you. And voila, the song's lyrics were written. Well, and Leon Huff came up with the music for it. And Gamble and Huff later go on to form Philadelphia International Records and have hits for groups like The Stylistics, Harold Melvin and the Blue Nose, The Three Degrees, Billy Paul, and many others. So that wraps up episode 9 of my podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I hope you guys enjoyed my analysis on this record and found the information about the group I talked about in this week's episode interesting. And if you did, please shoot me an email at sam at hickeyboyams.com. And again, if you don't know how to spell that, it's sam at h-i-c-k-e-y-williams.com. And also, please follow me on Instagram at iheartoldies. And again, you spell that like i h 
E-A-R-T-O-I-D-S. And check out more of my original music at samwoysmusic.net. And again, that's samwoysmusic.net. And also, please subscribe this podcast and leave a review for it from wherever you're listening to it from. And also, I'm still doing the special deal. Well, if you're a musician and I know you personally, you leave a really nice review for my show on iTunes. I will personally shout you out in the future episode and say a couple good things about you and tell my listeners where they can find you on social media, just like what I did with this episode with Charlie Wilmot. And all you have to do is write a review and screenshot the review and send it to me, and I'll personally do the shout-out. Alright, so I'm Sam Williams, and thank you for joining me for this week's episode of my podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, please, two things to do.